You're listening to the 100th episode of the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're talking about Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke's sci-fi epic, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You, no trouble. Me, fifth element. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. I'm Brian Elkins. With me tonight, the birthday boy, Jeremy Benson. Howdy. And Jared Callen. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's going good. <laughs> it's going good. Everybody's like, oh man, I'm so tired. It's going great, man. I know, I'm just looking at your new waveform. Yeah, yeah, everything's so uh, everything's so different on your shiny new computer. It's all crisp. Yeah, it, it has caused a little bit of uh, production delays, so we're sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, some of the some of the episodes. I mean, you know, the servers, man. You know, you get a new machine, you got to update everything. Oh, do you have a, have a hard time hooking up to the server? Most that was my fault though, because I forgot I forgot my uh, my username for the <laughs> server. I don't know what the password was. I was like, man, what the hell's the username for this thing? Uh, but yeah, okay. So we're here, guys. This is pretty awesome. Hundredth episode. Yes, we're, I've been kind of saving this. Two thousand one, a space odyssey. First time talking about this movie, obviously, but the first time we're talking about Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Wow. You think in a, in a hundred films that well, I'm uh, sure he's you, come up before. I'm, I'm talking about in a hundred films you would have done a, a a Kubrick movie. But yeah, no, I wow. seem to I seem to remember mentioning The Shining a few times. Oh wait, yes, <laughs> that's totally been talked about. Yeah, I mean, well, we brought him up, but this is the first time we're going to go in in depth into Kubrick. What's the first time you guys saw 2001? Uh, shoot, it had to be when I was a kid. Was it your first Kubrick? No, no, Shining was my first Kubrick movie. Um, I don't know when the first time I saw uh, I, the first time I actually watched this movie and watched it. Watched it was with you guys, but uh, I saw it uh, in film school at a party. And about the time that it starts getting really weird, uh, you know, everybody kind of loses it. If you got a bunch of people watching, it's kind of hard to watch a movie like this with with a crowd of, of, of rowdy, you know, twenty somethings. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but also, uh, I, I have. Images of it from from childhood, but uh, yet again, I don't I don't think my, my ADD self would have been able to watch it as a kid. So uh, my first f- true viewing was with you guys. I, I distinctly remember seeing this because um, 
on TV. It was on TNT. It was the fir- first time seeing it. it was, I think it was like 92. I was 10 years old. And they showed, they showed it as a double feature, or at least in the same week as Forbidden Planet. Oh, that's cool. And it was like the first time they showed like widescreen. I was about to say it's pain and scan. Yeah, they actually <laughs> called it like the letter, the letterbox uh, presentation or something nice. like that. You know, it was it's still on a four three TV, and you had the black bars, and man, it it made the movie really special. But you know, as a kid, man, I I really did not care much for this movie. I, yeah. I liked the Howl section a lot. Overall, just didn't really understand it. But it, it's one of those films that the more you watch it. It's an experience. I mean, I hate to sell saying cliche there, but it, it's a it's a real it's a real journey. You know, it's, it's something that you really have to see, and it's, it's it is kind of hard to describe. Before <clears throat> before we move on, when y'all were growing up and you had the four three TVs, yeah, and you would watch a movie, and it would they would you know boast that it's going to be in the widescreen letterbox. You see the full image. Did y'all's dads complain about the black bars? Everybody in the family but me complained. Yes. Okay. I was just wanting to make sure this wasn't just at my house. I want to see. I want the whole screen to be full. Right. What in the hell is happening? Make it full. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There wasn't that much. That wasn't until like DVDs um, really came out that, that that was really an issue. I remember my dad doing it a lot with like HBO movies or some of the ones on VHS. He would. Why is it not filling the screen? Yeah, I remember like going to Suncoast to find those like special like letterbox presentations of certain yeah. movies. Yeah, <clears throat> and you could sometimes find them on VHS, but man, it was really hard. At, at Christmas time, I remember getting DVDs that were all full screen, and I would be like, "Oh God, you got to take these back." <laughs> <laughs> Snob. <laughs> oh no, I remember that. Yeah, I got one hour photo. It was full screen. Like, oh no. Yeah. And each time you could flip it, you know, it was on one side or the other. No, that, yeah. those I did not mind. Yeah, yeah. I like that when MG. I think MGM did those. I'm sure some other studios did as well, but it's a good idea. Yeah, it was. It was good. Yeah, I remember same thing. Like I'd gotten a DVD from somebody, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, uh, where'd you get this from?" <laughs> so I, I got to take it back and exchange it. You got the wrong one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't watch the Passion of the Christ in full screen. It's not happening. <laughs> uh, I've only seen that once. Strange story. <laughs> oh my! I need I need to see it again. It's kind of like 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, need to see it and watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This movie is really, really hard to watch at times. I think you've really got to be ready to, to like sit down and experience it. It's one of these movies that I, I think you just got to be. I don't know. I, I, the, I don't think the millennial brain can uh, can just sit down and watch it. Do, do, you, see, do you see what I'm saying? No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I had that re- the reaction as well. And, and I, I was I was reading this thing today, or I was watching this thing, and this guy was talking about how when it was originally in theaters, uh, it wasn't really getting out there. And, uh, and it was getting some, some bad reviews, but then the, uh, the stoner generation found it and figured yeah. out that it was a, uh, it was a hell of a trip and they would use it as more of an experience. And they, so they kind of went and remarketed it in a different way. Smoke your joint and take your LSD, it's take so your <laughs> LSD and watch the colors. <laughs> you know, you know, that, that, the, the last third of that film, man, whoo, that's a ride. <laughs> Just about the time the acid's hitting in, baby, we're going to be good. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, it, that they kind of did save it, uh, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah. So, and that, that just kind of that, that's that's the proof of it. And I think that's the whole point of it. It's, it's you're supposed to you're supposed to watch it and get your own opinion. Even Kubrick wouldn't even tell you what he thought of it. He he would say, hmm, all right. He would listen to your opinion on it, and then, you know, all right. Well, that's that's interesting. Okay, my views are a little bit, and my opinions are, are a little bit skewed by the book, though, because if if you do read the book by Arthur C. Clarke. 
which the film's kind of based on, but the, it's not because they were written at the same time. They were they were made at the same time. The screenplay and the book was they were written. I did Canada. find that interesting that they were kind of writing both at the same time well, and sharing notes and really because I, I watched an interview with him today and he was saying that uh, he um, he had a bunch of short stories or whatever and he, and, and he uh, sold them all to Kubrick and then he uh, he bought them back he bought them back but yeah. one of them was was this one uh, well no, it uh, was the basis it's, for oh this it was one. basically just like a, a, then, a synopsis yeah it it had the idea of there was an artifact on the moon yeah it was the Sentinel okay. Um and then and from there, <laughs> basically, like, what are you going to do for the movie? Write me this. And they, he wrote the, the screenplay while he's writing the book. Oh, okay. Well, and Arthur C. Clarke was actually, you know, changing <laughs> what he was writing based off watching uh, um, Kubrick's uh, dailies and things. Wow. Arthur C. Clarke wrote a novelization of his story. <laughs> That's weird, and I, I know that they that even the ending they uh, they kind of just like coming up with it with the actors, kind of how how the, how to play it out, and just to really come up with a you know figure it out, you know, kind of knew kind of where they wanted to go, but you know, a lot of it was freeform over years of production. What three yeah. years? Uh, four. Wow, I think they started in '64. This came out in '68. Money, 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 money. Yeah, dude, it was like twelve <laughs> million. Really? Twelve well, million. Back this was, then, that yeah. Was. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, this was super. Yeah, super huge. Uh, I was. I think I was reading. It was made like fifty-two or something like that. Good return on investment. Well done. Well, yeah. Kubrick. Uh, you know, he's one of those directors that's always. He's always enjoyed pretty good box office success, and the critics usually liking, even though he can't win an Oscar, or he couldn't win an Oscar. He definitely can't win one now. Passed away. Uh, <laughs> we talked yeah, about like the, the uh, uh, millennials. Yeah, basically the the way the you know uh, you asked about the time we first time we saw it, and then I, I was talking about like my initial uh, thoughts about it and how you know uh, it, it could be a little bit of a chore to watch at, at times if you're not in the right mind frame. So you, it, <laughs> I, I yeah, I guess I see where you're coming from. Yeah, but I, I don't know, man. That's when I was like a little kid, and I had just seen Star Wars, like you know, right. not so long ago, and. I mean, I can see what you're saying. I don't. I don't. It, it's like watching Blade Runner when you're young. It's oh like, no, totally. Yeah, you know, yeah it's yeah. like this isn't Star Wars, man. Right. Yeah. It kind of looks like Star Wars, but it's you're, not. You're exactly right. Yeah. You know, and when you're a young kid, it's a, it's a it's a lot to process. I mean, there's no dialogue in like what the it, first yeah thirty minutes and, or and, so. And they, they they just let these things sit. And and the editor was even talking in this thing that I was watching, was saying uh, just silence. H- how do we figure out pace? You know how how long do we know when to cut things? It's like you know, so you're having to kind of like. Feel it out and let it flow. You know, yeah. it's, it's dead. so it, it's it's not paced like a standard film. It's not. It, it just it just breathes. It's wide and open. And then it's a it's a repeat watch. But then it's also you have to do a little studying on it because it's 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 some heavy shit. You know, it, it's for about me, it's I'll, about evolution and for me, I always like to to think about like as an audience member back then in '68. You know, in any sci-fi movie you've seen before this doesn't look this good no. you know what i mean like this is yep. kind of the first time you're seeing like realistic looking spaceships and oh absolutely man absolutely and you know you're talking about the pace like i think at the time you could linger on this you know real long shot of a spaceship going across the screen that looks so good and audiences are just you know wow that's cool looking right. they want to look at the details on the spaceship and nowadays it's like we've seen spaceships go on move so I see what you're saying. I don't, yeah, I don't think you could release this today to a mass audience and get get a lot of attention. This would be the director's cut on the Blu-ray, and then you'd have the you know ninety-minute cut that 
you know, <laughs> that Paramount puts out. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like Christopher Nolan tried to attempt that with Interstellar. I, I feel like he, he tried to like, try, he tried to give us an update of 2001. Yeah. Basically, uh, with the themes of, uh, of... Too much talking, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for the modern audience, you know. Touche, touche. Okay, so the structure of it is... It, it's, not, it's not what you think of in terms of a narrative. The, the, the way the movie is played, not only with, it, with its dialogue, but the way the story's told, how it's broken up. Characters are completely dropped in certain segments. Right. I think there's only one character outside of the monolith. Dave Bowman is the only one that carries over into more than one segment. What was the main? What was and, the main uh, story? What was what, what was their objective? They were going to Jupiter to do what? Uh, find the transmission. Okay. That the uh, monolith on the moon, whatever that beam or noise it let out. Right. Okay. But I don't. It's it, it's 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 a weird movie. It it's got a it's got a nice epic feel with like the way the overture starts. It has an intermission. It has a nice David Lean. It's like experimental David Lean, I guess, is the best way to describe it. You know, it's like uh, it, it's, a, it's a big budget movie, sci-fi, but it, it definitely has an experimental quality to it, especially when you get to the end. Which, which plays into the themes. And like I said, I, I didn't yeah. really we're, – we're not there yet, really digging into it. But like I, I it just it, – upon studying the film, it, it made the film better for me. Cause yeah. I, or maybe just my feeble mind wasn't able to comprehend it or what I had seen, but like when looking back upon scenes and and what was what the filmmaker was going for or what what people were putting into that kind of made it bigger and better to me than my first initial viewing. And, and dude, the the special effects really are awesome. I, mean, I know we're talking like like the space stuff and special effects, but like even the sets, man, like what they do with like the cameras. You know, in the in the sets, it's like dude, the, yeah, yeah. the spinning set, the centrifuge one, and man, just sometimes even the, the, the simple hallway. stuff like the pin on the on the glass. Oh my gosh, um, mind blowing! I, I had I had a thought about that. They keep uh, pointing out tools. They, they, they f- focus on evolution and man using tools to evolve. So we have the bone, then we cut to the ship. Right. Yeah. And then you see the pen. That's a tool that we use to, to evolve with writing, floating. We, we focus on that, even though they kind of use that as a way to show, look, we're in weightlessness. We're in yeah. space. But more, it's also we're focusing on that's that's a tool of evolution. We're, so, I mean, like, even that has a point. And then all the way down to computers and, and everything up until the ultimate evolution where we become more beyond ourselves, you know, becoming the star child or. You know, that metamorphosis or that real trippy moment. But we only got there through use of tools. So that seems to be the common. Thanks to the big black thing. The monolith. The monolith. That's what, yeah. You know, my, did you my, know, my brain went to Monopoly. <laughs> thanks to Monopoly. Did you know that they originally wanted the monolith to have a, a TV screen on it? Yeah, I heard that. Oh, man. I heard they also wanted it to be like a triangle. <laughs> it was to be a triangle I, I shape. I don't I know about that, that either. That one, no. Uh, the shape works for me, man. I like it. I, I've always, always liked that. And also that uh, it was supposed to be a parallel to, if you turn it on its side, it's the same aspect ratio of the TV, uh, of the screen. So that, oh. the, so in essence, if you were to reach out and touch the screen, then you have touched the monolith by watching this film. They do make some like, uh, a weird mention in the book about like the dimensions of it, but they, they, they just note that it's perfect and they don't know why it's like, it's something like nine by four by two or something. But they don't know why it's the measurements. 
Maybe it's just because Kubrick's like, look, it's my widescreen freak. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke's like, I don't know why it's that shape. <laughs> but and not only the, the tools, though, but it, it's interesting to like the, the violence that goes along. Yeah, yeah, like, well. and and you know, apparently we all, you know, uh, it's it's real pro vegan at the beginning. You know, we all start out, you know, we're we're just eating plants and stuff. But then when we learned tools, we're like, holy shit, we can kill, <laughs> <laughs> and then we're gonna start killing and eating. <laughs> so you know, and and with tools, we learn, uh, you know, destruction and war and uh, how to, you know, <laughs> advance ourselves to take over. Oh, did you guys get that? That was uh, when they do that ma- that real famous match cut. Probably, probably the best match cut when they throw the bone up and then it cuts to the the spaceship. That that's yeah. supposed to be like a nuclear, like Star vessel. Wars type yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's supposed to like yeah, it's supposed to launch nukes. So that's just something that that's like it's like a. a yeah, they're supposed to be like military. all over. Yeah. Wow. How, At least that's how they describe it in the book. I'm gonna say, how did you the, get that? It, yeah, it's from okay, the novel. So, Watch the movie. Say, it's just like a spaceship. I mean, I read the novel once. It was a while back. Um, and that's where I knew it from. Hmm. A spoiler for the the novel, but at the end of the novel, the Star Child actually comes back. That's what it does. It it blows up all the nuclear weapons that are surrounding the nuclear satellites that are surrounding Earth. That does not happen in the movie. Obviously, no, no. It just kind of like looks <laughs> no back. No superhero at the Star Child in the movie. No. At the end, Superman flies by the Star Child. <laughs> you can breathe out here too. <laughs> Let me get you out of that oh, no. sack. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Superman. Um, some of the music, man. Um, Thus spoke Zarathustra. Is uh, the main title for two thousand one? The boom, 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 boom. Fa- famous piece. That's um, actually from I think some opera that is about the Superman. No shit. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that has, it has synchronicity. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, the the the, uh, the film is visually striking, but also the music uh, and sound design really. Really, really, really push this movie. I mean, all the way from the you know the score and and the you know the big, big bright overture, all the way down to just really heavy breathing, and oh, then yeah, at dude. the end, uh, you know, just the the pace of of him dissim- uh, uh, taking Hal apart and Hal begging. The, the the quality of his voice is so haunting. Oh yes, it, it's just, it, it will put you on edge. I mean, that scene with just 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 how simple that is, and with the pace of what of him just methodically slowly working, that is so intense. And yeah. dude, sometimes the lack of sound is incredible. Oh man, yeah. You know, like there's supposed to be like an explosion or something, and you'll just hear breathing, or then like the breathing will cut out, and oh man, it's it, it is good. Like it it works, and I, I like the fact that you don't. Are we into spoilers here? Um, uh, you know, well, let. Is there a trailer for this film? I've never seen the trailer <laughs> there, for this. <laughs> there, there is a trailer. Um, there's, there's a recut trailer we should probably play instead. Or do you guys just want to play the? What's the is the original is like uh, the original you know, is just the the spoke th- Zarathustra music. So it's just that theme. It, they don't do and, like with a, visuals. Okay, interesting. I love really old trailers. How they used to market things. You know. Well, let's like, watch wow. both and see which one's better. <laughs> they All don't right. do it. They don't do a. A story about a guy <laughs> no. and his spaceship computer. You know, that they originally wanted Hal to be movable, where he would like, you know, like in Moon, you know, that kind of like follow you around the ship. He's like, he kind of turns around and he's right on you. What are you doing, Dave? Fuck, man, I'm trying to take a piss. <laughs> I'm trying to take a piss, Hal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm glad you brought up Moon, dude. I'm, I'm glad the, the Hal robot didn't go all crazy in that. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a nice surprise. Yeah, he, he didn't hold them down and start like molesting them and stuff. You know, Kevin Spacey style. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now we're going to trailer. We'll be back. Played the original trailer to 2001: A Space Odyssey. Good music, man. Yeah, great. So, guys, let's just let's let's not waste any time. Let's go straight into it. Let's just go straight into the dawn of man. Yes. The setup of the film. We see a lot of ape men <laughs> monkeying around. You know, just uh, pun intended. <laughs> Mimes and suits. That looked pretty good. And that was really cool. Yeah. I will say that you know having. I had the book written at the same time as the screenplay. I actually liked this part better in the book. Yeah. What happens in the book during this part? Uh, you're you're in one of the ape people's brain. Moon Watcher, yeah. I think is his name. And you kind of get to see like how rudimentary he thinks and how he's kind of like the first one to start having more thoughtful thoughts. Is that because they touched the, the monolith, or is that, does it happen before they touch it? No, he's kind of like breaking out of the pack before they touch it. Yeah, he's kind of like the leader of their monkey clan. Because there's that other clan across the water. Apes. Um, <laughs> Monkeys, whatever. Like, he has an idea at one point that the reason he's called Moon Watcher is he gets the idea that if he climbs up in a tree, maybe he can grab the moon out. Like, he's the one that figures out that it's up there. He's just got to grab it. All right? And right. there's one part where his dad dies right at the beginning, and they just leave him behind, but he has a moment of regret. Like Wow. So there's um, a lot more substance going on. About- in, yeah, in the book, there was a lot more substance going on about, like, how, what their brain is like. Yeah, hmm. especially with, like, the, the jaguar was, like, a big, yeah. was a big thing. And you get kind of that sense that, you know, the monolith comes and propels them into whatever, you know, evolution is going to happen. It's the catalyst for change. Although they do a good job of of conveying that in the movie because, like, when he's, you know, breaking the bone out and hitting things, they cut to the monolith during that sequence. I mean, they're they're getting the idea across. It's just in the book, like, 
I remember thinking it was a kind of an interesting image. They're not as hairy in the book either. Right. Um, they're more like just cavemanish. Had to cover and up those privates, man. There's a there's <laughs> a moment when Moonwatcher touches the monolith and he has a, a vision of them all being like fat men sitting around a fire, but they're wearing like pig skin and fur hmm. and they're warm. And that's an idea that like being warm and full. Like, because being fat would just be awesome. It's not really. Trust it's not, me, I can but tell you. to them, because <laughs> they were always hungry. They were always looking for, you know, they're they're humans that are scavenging like leaves and shit. Huh, right. Yeah. Um, not a lot of nourishment there. And that dirty brown water they drink. You see that? Like, it's just like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, and then that sound they make is like, oh, no, rawr, rawr, oh, rawr, no. Rawr. their howl, their growl is the most. <laughs> it's like it's horrifying. Oh. Like apes do not sound like this. It is definitely otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really strange. Yeah, I thought the effects were great. Yeah, but yeah, that part in the book is way more interesting. I I can't believe they actually got that jaguar though on the on the film, or I don't know whatever cat that kind of jungle cat that was that attacked the actor. How did they do that? <laughs> Train jaguar? I, yeah, <laughs> I steak in your pocket. <laughs> I would crap my pants, dude. I would run away. Apparently, large cats oh. make great pets if you can raise them from... Oh, yeah. I guess you've seen the video with the guy with the lions where he goes out and he kind of, like, whistles, whatever, and then... Like, it's illegal to have a lion now. No, no this, really? Yeah. No. Well, this is, out, this is actually out in the wild. He goes out and then this, like... Out of nowhere, this giant lion just like starts running at him, and I mean, I would be like, <gasps> and it, he just stands there and it like pounces on him, and it just rolls around, and they like, and it's like hugging him. I don't know, man. Just just go, uh, just go to YouTube and type in "man hug lion." You'll see it. What was the Vegas act? They got uh... Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, no. You sir. Can't trust them, man. Even if they're the albino, you know, rare <laughs> ones. I was listening to a podcast just the other day, and a guy was talking about a guy he went to college with had a pet lion. What? And he would take it everywhere with him. Oh well, you know, like a dog. In, in, uh, no, <laughs> in the, walk, sir. the Walking Dead, they got a pet tiger, but it, you know, it's very digital looking. So, Ooh, I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no jungle cats. I'm gonna pass on those. I'm thinking about getting a monkey though. We'll see. <laughs> and then if when I get my monkey, we're gonna get, we're gonna put it, and I'm gonna get a little tiny monolith, and we're gonna like shoot photos. Of. Oh, okay. So you're gonna get like one of these missing link kind of. You're going to find the missing link yeah. and buy it. <laughs> so, so he can howl at you in that weird screech. Oh, if I woke up and it's like, I'm like, oh, God. You have no poo water to drink. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But yeah, okay, so the, the monolith does, um, it, it appears, uh, it, it definitely changes these ape guys. So, uh, yeah, just that, that. I mean, just that part in the book. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But no, no, it's, it's cool. It's I was just, just I it, it, It's just so much more interesting. To, like, even when, like, he has the vision of being fat around the fire. So, right. Yeah. He, and then he he realizes, like, when he kills the pig, uh, the rest of them really don't know what he did, and he's not really sure what he did. And <clears throat> I don't remember exactly how Brian. You can correct me, but it, it's almost an accident that they eat it. He hits it, and then they all just start beating on it because that's what he did. Yeah. And then yeah. one of the ladies or something, like, licks the bone or something. And they realize at that point, wait a minute. I mean, they can delicious, eat it. Yeah. And then they start, you know, they're eating these pigs that are used to, like, you know, scavenging right along with them. And they start, like, you know, making bones into everything. 
Yeah. Um, they start making tools, and they even defend themselves against the, the jungle yeah. cat that comes in and attacks them at night. Yeah, they That's kill awesome. the jungle cat, and and the last part is they go, you know, they go down to the lake to face off. And, they, you know, they describe that several—he describes it several times where they go down and they do the routine, but it describes it like they don't really know what would happen— if the other guys cross the watering hole, like they're just making noises to scare them off. But this time they strategically go and they're like, we're going to kill these people. <laughs> this is our watering, watering hole. And it, I don't know, just the idea of like humans that are now wearing like loincloths and right. they have bones. So not, not only did you invent tools and hunting and, you know, a way to feed yourself, but you also invented war and you invented like taking over territory and and to me, I don't know, it plays into how the tool can be helpful, where you know, it helps them eat, it helps them get clothes, it helps them stay warm. Absolutely. But in the end, it you know, it, it brings out an evil side of them where they're willing right. to go kill, where later Hal, which is a tool, turns against <laughs> them, you know. I don't know. Is it is it presented as is evil in the movie? I, or is it just like well, this it's, is just it's part just of surviving? laid out? Hal is is sort to me. It's sort of a, a dual. You got consciousness of we created consciousness into yeah, we a, create, yes. a, into a computer, and then that computer decided that consciousness decided it's it's more worthy to live than we are. But at the same time, the computer is a tool that is now turning against its creator. But it still had its main motivation to, to finish the, the mission. Because it was still going to do the mission regardless, right? It was going to go there. But it was still killing the humans on board. Because well, they, they were going to stop it from doing its mission. Humans were definitely going to succeed in the scenario because that was the species that was touched by the monolith. Right. I want to throw that theory out there. I don't know if that's right or not, or if that was so Kubrick, talk- or they don't say that in the novel. So you're talking about predestination and fate? You know, that, yeah. that's going to happen regardless. I'm, yeah, exactly. Because this missing link touched the monolith and I mean, if you, the man. Well, if you really want to get... Man like, was supposed I, to get I, there. I want to quote Terminator, no fate but what you make. So I'm just saying. I mean, if you really want to get <laughs> on, into a deep, like into a deep discussion, you could also say that humans are the creator. And just because Hal wants to turn against them, the creator is going to have a way to stop it. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right, okay. But yeah, I mean, I was just going back to like the tools, how that evolved up there. Yeah, yeah. Tools drive evolution. <laughs> they do. They do. And again, it's like the monkey's so excited about it, but then when they get up into space, you know, you get the famous match cut, boom to a bone to spaceship. Immediately, it looks like everyone's kind of bored. Yeah. You know, it's like they're 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 flying to a space station. Yeah, but it just seems like such old hat. Everybody's just kind of like sitting around. But, but we do that every day. Out. I was just talking to my grandfather yesterday because he thought it was my birthday. Um, <laughs> he was close. And, and he was talking about like how, you know, this this generation takes for granted talking on the phone in the car. You know, like the tools we have blow his mind. Yeah. So we do the same thing. Like we, we look at our tools like, yeah, okay, we're recording our voices into a little box. And you're listening to them in your little ears. Where, you know, 30 <laughs> years ago, there would have been a dat tape rolling over here. And I'd be like staring at it going, whoa, <laughs> spinning just like the space station. <laughs> and we would be playing some like awesome 70s uh, rock song. <laughs> some Creedence or something. 
<laughs> and it would be sepia toned. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> in the seventies is very sepia. Uh, I okay. This, this is the the one part of the film, though. Um, production design wise, I, I I really do like how it looks. It's very futuristic. Um, which part are you talking about? The desert where the monkeys. Okay, are. So no, I, no, no, no. When <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't know if we were still there. No, no. Uh, when we're when we're traveling to the space station, I like the production design. It looks very futuristic. It's like it, an airplane. You don't know, mind the thing he's in going to the space station? Yeah, it's and, like a standard and, airplane. And inside the and inside the the space station itself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it does it, have like, a little bit like, of '60s vibe to it. It has some, some of the 60, chairs. It's like '60s airport hanging out. Wait, well, to me, it felt it feels very much like '60s imagining the future. You're you're kind of in that style, so you're like, okay, how is this style going to? evolve into future styles. But it's just in these weird touches, though. You know what I mean? It's it's like in chairs. Like the shape of the chairs yeah, or the right. hem of the pants. Yeah, or like in, in designs in certain parts where yeah. it would be smoother now. It, it, it gets smooth to a point, and then you get like these symmetrical It's like edges. the designers could not imagine the, how the 80s would screw shit up. <laughs> Hot pink and like blaze orange like and stuff that, would just that take couldn't over. Just, it, they couldn't imagine it. I did like how they went with like a, a lot of white in the scenes, mm, though. Mm-hmm. And what did you, what did you guys think of uh, Doctor Floyd, the, the the character that that is introduced? He's sleeping, you know. He's got the pen scene. I, he's he's got like I guess the first two dialogue heavy scenes in the movie, right? Where he's introduced awkwardly to the to the Russian doctor. Uh, that is my least favorite section of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Their little hangout in the uh, on the red chairs and the. <laughs> In the white curved yeah. room, yeah, that's my least favorite. It kind of sets up the subplot of like you it, know, there's something going on. Th- this, in the moon. Is, this is this is expositional scene, you know, kind of like what's going on. Let's let's figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, we just had our first like FaceTime with the with the little girl. Oh yeah, right I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of like um, early adopters of you know uh, having uh, you know FaceTime. You know, that's right. They they got on the Skype train early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be a little more modern, uh, but yeah, we can say Skype, you know, even <laughs> the, the little Skype? girl screaming. Well, I was thinking more 2001, man. Okay. Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, that's what I was 2001, kinda, we'd have had Skype. That's kind of what I was thinking. Because didn't, <laughs> didn't, does it have an AT&T logo? I think it does. Isn't, it, isn't that like an old 60s AT&T logo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what was their equivalent there in 2000? Did they have anything like that in 2001? <sighs> I don't think so. I think Apple was the first, like you know, t- uh, tele- like telephone. Yeah, it's, it's, Skype was the first one I could actually like really think of. I'm sure right. there was something before that. There had to be. I just can't. Well, I, in the documentary anyway. that I was watching, they said that you know he was inspired to put that in the film by going to the World's Fair and uh, AT and T or another company like that had a that. had a little like it was really weird. It was like a little uh, CRT, but it was kind of like you know, a tube, and, yes. and you you would go into a booth. And then your friends would go into another booth and you would talk to each other, you know, through the TV and you'd see each other, you know. Well, that didn't take off. <laughs> no, no, it did not. I don't, I don't think they ever put it into effect. They, yeah, they oh, no. Yeah. I mean, like you'd have to be in the same house and be like, you know. <laughs> that reminds me of the, I wish I could remember all the details, but the guy that invented the cell phone, he was going around. <clears throat> I wish I could remember all the details. It would make it a much better story, but. He was going around to all these companies trying to sell the idea of a cell phone. Right. And they were all saying nobody's going to want to make a phone call from their car. And he, he finally, like, sold the idea to some company. And he drove over in front of the other company, called their main office, got the guy on the phone and went, by the way, 
I'm talking to you from your parking lot. <laughs> and then just hung out. There's Mic a, drop. There's a, uh, it's a British uh, path. You guys heard of it? P-A-T-H-E? No. A pathy? Is it pathy? <laughs> no, they add ease to everything. Okay, anyways, uh, if you go to Facebook, look up Path. They they archive all these old like um, videos of like British TV and stuff like that. Okay, that they'll put up. And there was one of uh, of an early cell phone, but it was like this box about the size of a briefcase. The guy was carrying that had like a receiver tied to it. But you had to have uh, on the on the inside where the other person would answer. There's the receiver there, you know. So and you had to be within a certain distance. But it was it was a wireless phone. You know, and and it, 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 he showed the whole antenna and everything. Anyways, man, how far we have come. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 FaceTime scene is is cool um, in the film, um, and all that stuff was done rear projection. I man, I totally forgot going Wait, back that to was, the, that was projected onto that. That wasn't a composite that they were actually looking at. Yeah, from what I understand, from um, and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I was reading an American um, cinematographer article from uh, Douglas Trumbull who did the worked on the special effects for the film and they were saying they used a lot of those uh, rear screen projected and they used front screen projection for all the dawn of man all all the I, so we, so all all the deep cuz we were looking at it saying well that looks really good so they went and shot those those landscapes and skies and then projected that behind yeah and the dawn of man that was all done in a studio yeah, yeah it, it was all second unit stuff that was done in so monument deep valley and clean yeah the 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 travel to the moon um, we, you get to see him eat eat space food, which is baby food apparently. <laughs> it, it's just like you know when you get in space, you, you got to revert back to your childhood state and eat, eat Gerber baby food. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and like or, or, or yeah, or yeah, you have you have like five or six little boxes and like oh yes, yes, the pea uh, soup is. I'll trade you some green for some red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you notice later in the movie when they're in the Discovery, they have they have like little solid space food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're eating with like little forks and things when they're yeah, watching yeah. stuff on their iPads. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's very segmented, you know, just kind of like bleh, mush. Yeah. Well, you can only eat. You're 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 there for a certain amount of time. Well, yeah, and you, and you don't know. I mean, you you don't can't know. grow potatoes on a. Well, I guess that's true, and you don't know Martian how your reference. digestive system works in space. So easy in, easy out. They always say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So we, we, finally getting to the moon. I I think there's a little bit of comedy in in, in this film. Really? Yeah. Just it, it it's in a scene. That meeting scene when Floyd is kind of a- explaining to everybody like the need for the cover-up story, there is a little bit of like it feels like corporate satire, you know. Ma- it definitely little, feels like a corporate meeting. Yeah, and just the length it takes them to like get up from the chairs. <laughs> oh, dude, and they're just right there. I love that. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, and like just the speeches and like yes, the morale. It just feels like they're going through protocol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it's a nice little, little Doctor Tell, Strange love telling themselves bullshit to yeah. believe, <laughs> so they can all go back and do their annual. Well, if, if you say if you say it at a podium, it has to be true. I I always like that, man. Self evaluations. <laughs> it's a nice little comical break, man. It always makes me laugh. I mean, it, not out loud. <laughs> I can just imagine you and you're watching it and you're just like laughing your ass off and your wife's like she comes in she's wanting to see what you're watching and it's just fucking <laughs> <laughs> these dudes talking at a podium he's like this is hilarious <laughs> look how long it takes him to walk honey <laughs> 
look, at, look how long his title was. He had to introduce she's you. Like, she's like, that's good, Brian. <laughs> um, there, there are some um, amazing technical shots. Uh, there's, there's a scene where um, they, they have, have shots of them just like walking around the space station. And uh, there's a scene where he's like walking uh, down a hallway and then, then it goes to another little like ring and like turns and then walks up the ceiling in the same shot. Oh yeah, you're talking about the. How the fuck did they the, do that? The space flight attendant. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was. How how, how did they do that? Uh, I think they were. Turn the set. <laughs> yeah, I think they were rotating to two different sets. Lock the camera on this one. Both of them are turning. Okay. Okay. It's, I think it's like yeah, they're just spinning. But it, just, it, it just it must turn somewhat quickly because it just seems like it's like a giant centrifuge and like it's cut in half and they can they can like one can stop and spin. This is some badass engineering. Well, yeah. it, what's crazy to think about, like how they can spin, like where one person can get on another. Set. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like and make that seamless without it feeling like they have to pause to wait because it was pretty much you know boom 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 step and over. People give fucking shit of Stanley Kubrick for taking so many takes. Like goddamn dude, like think how many times that took. Get uh, that right. I'm sure that took many 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 times. And on top of that, that's just like like the actors have to sell that too in their performance, like in their body movement. You imagine it, 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 it's like a 10 second shot in the movie, but they're like, you know, they're on take 500 and they're like, fuck, is this really worth it? <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> just CGI it, Stanley. <laughs> it's 10 seconds of the fucking movie. What is that? I don't know what that stands for. <laughs> We've been working on this one shot for a week. <laughs> No, I mean there. Yes, there is some. There's some amazing stuff. I, and I guess this is where I guess when you're talking about the millennial generation or, or younger audiences not not being on board with the movie, there are a lot of like spaceship shots. And, and, and well, everything is it's paced and slow. But but you made a good point earlier, and, and that's I think that's what that's what, what we're missing is like seeing it from this point of view. It's like uh, it's like my dad talks about seeing the movie uh, Food of the Gods. You ever seen that? Yes. He said that blew his mind with those special effects. But those if you go back, giant and, chickens were yeah. amazing. If bro. you go back now, they got you know, huge giant rats. Huge, huge rats. Like just it's basically it's it's a giant rat puppet just leaning into the frame, like biting at people. <laughs> but like you know, <laughs> no, they, they, they they did some composite ones too. Oh my, yeah, you're right. They, they look terrible. But he said when he was a kid, he was just like, <gasps> like he just could not believe how how amazing that looks. So. They put some real chickens in a model set. So, so yet again, letting it breathe back then, the first time you've ever seen something in this quality, this detail, like, fuck, that is real. You know, people are like, holy shit. Well, I mean, it's also allowing you to, it's almost daring you find the hole. Right. Find where it doesn't look real. Yeah. And where normally in a movie, you, you know, you quick cut special effects so that you don't have time to think about. Right. Um, Did yeah. that punch connect? <laughs> How much space can I cheat here? Yes. It almost felt like Kubrick was saying, "No, look at it. Look at our. Look at what we did, and see if you can find how we did it." Right. But then you play that in front of an audience today that's used to. I mean, they're you know we can put whatever we want on screen with CGI. Yeah, so let me down text. I'm watching 2001: A Space. Oh shit! Let me back up a little bit. 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, it's still that shot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you gonna, can text in this movie and still watch. I'm gonna it. run to the bathroom while this shot's on. You want me to pause it? No, don't you gotta pause it. I've seen that shot. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. Like, dude, if you watch it, man. It, I don't see barely any mat lines. You can't see. No, that's any what I was saying. Line. That's what I was saying earlier. I, uh, I, I want to see. Uh, at the beginning, at the end of the break, we we're talking about 
I don't, I don't know if we're recording this, but uh, I, I want to see an original print because I don't know if they've cleaned it up. Because, like, you know, if you watch an original Star Wars print, they've got the black lines when they're, like, flying things this and all that. This has been restored, never cleaned up. The special effects so what we're are seeing, all original. What yes. we're seeing is we're not, we're not, they're not, they didn't go back in hide lines and Look, all that. Look, they have found the, the 17 minutes that were cut from the film, and they have never released them. They found that in, like, two, uh, 2010, I think. Oh, really? What well, are they going to do with that? They, I, everybody was like, hey, put put it in the film or release it at, at least as like, you know, deleted scenes and some kind of special edition. And Warner has, has never, never released it. And I think actually Warner was like, yeah, we we have that footage, but we're never planning to alter the film. Well, you can at least put it on I mean, special it, features. It's Stanley Kubrick. I mean, it was he a big deal. He can't say anything now. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to remember. He's not going to complain. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's there was done. a huge controversy when Eyes Wide Shut came out and they added those digital people. Yeah, to cover um, up all the titties. Exactly, and all the, the sex acts, so they could get an R rating. I mean, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the first like Stanley Kubrick movie I knew that was Stanley Kubrick that I watched. Like you know, I was like trying to watch it. Oh yeah, I guess we. Yeah, what was your first? Was that what your first Stanley? Kubrick no, I know was? I'd seen Full Metal Jacket and all that before, but I didn't really like you know studied it. There's a difference between I'm, I'm a firm believer. There's a difference between like watching something as a kid and then actually watching it like, you know, sitting down and studying it. I think that was the first one that I was like, okay, so this is like a masterful filmmaker making something that I need to like, really like watch. No, I, I hear you saying, I don't know. I watched things so much as a kid that like, I don't know. Once, once you watch things so many times, you get things beat in your head. that You don't even realize you're learning things. Oh yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Just watching films, guys, is a, is probably the best film school ever. I if, mean, if you're a filmmaker and you don't and you don't watch movies, you're you're not a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if same thing, if you're a writer and you don't write and you don't read, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, someone else made that quote recently, but it's true. That's a Stephen King quote. Is it really? If you if you want to write and you don't read, you. I mean, yeah, if yeah. you don't read, you can't write. That's true. I mean, like, you've you really got to study your craft, and, and, and a lot of studying is, uh, you know, experiencing it. And you need to know why things work and why things are the way they are, uh, and, and questioning things, having these discussions. Yeah. you gotta read. you got to read good and bad. No, yeah, I, I also want to, like, just know what other minds are doing. Well, yeah, you know, it, I want to know what other people are being creative and, and thinking of and uh, coming up with. Spielberg, I, I read a thing where he said there, there's no bad movie because there's always some redeemable quality to a movie. I, mean, I, I mostly agree with that. You know, like 99. You can pull up an Uwe Boll, Boll, Boll movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, house. You can like look at House of Dead and say those breasts are wonderful. <laughs> hey man, it made a profit, dude. He kept making movies after that. Hey man, I used to play that ha- that that game at the arcade while waiting on the movies. There man, you go. So, People and, saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I want to make a movie about uh, about shooting game. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, okay. So back to two thousand one. <laughs> so Dr. pull us back in, bro. Yeah. So Doctor Floyd finally, we finally find the monolith. All right, it's buried on the moon. It gets question. Yes. Okay, so like now we're to that point where it, it's buried on the moon. So in the short story, that's where they were going because it was sending out a signal or whatever and then but 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 aliens put that there as a beacon to say mankind has reached this point. So we know when they've evolved to this point. Yes. Am, am I right? So like So then why does it come out? Why does it approach them earlier if it was already there? So it it, it came down uh at the dawn of man, and then just kind of like hop, skip, jump out to to there and buried itself down? I always took it as two different monoliths. Oh, so it's not the same one? Well, in the movie, they don't explain that at all. 
you know, it it's there. It disappears. There's a race of monoliths where it goes. It doesn't know. Um, in the book, it is answered that it's the same one because it's specifically oh. said that it's it's been buried in the sand for three thousand years, or 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 something like that, or five thousand years, or something like that. And it, it's to imply that. So first. it was there and then left and then went there. To, so basically, like, here here we are, and then exactly. I'll see you again when you reach this point. Yes. And then, yet again, I'll see you again when you reach at the end of, you know, it's kind of floating away. Like, you know, exactly. it's, it's going to the next part where we'll meet again. Wherever it sends its radio signal And it's off. playing, like, we'll meet again. <laughs> <laughs> In the by and by. <laughs> I, well, okay, so I guess we're we're getting into it right now. So in the book, it's it's specifically stated that there is an alien race that has evolved to the point where they are explorers. I think that's what they were trying to do with the uh, with the real trippy shit, where it gets where we, it, that's just another level of consciousness being able to experience. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like like that. That's where. Either that, or they were just having a lot of fun playing with the color knobs. You know, but yes, like, oh, this it's, just looks cool. That's what's that's why he never, they'll 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 make up reasons why we're doing this. That's, that's why Kubrick never really gave a proper answer. He's like, so so this is what I was thinking. He's like, uh, you know, I, I'm really thinking that we're seeing like you know that's another consciousness, and you know that our mind is going to expand and we'll be able to go beyond that. And he's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I really see what you're what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Got it. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so the the aliens want to evolve. So they put that, you know, they put the first monolith down to give the the whatever the Earth ape people a chance. So the aliens sent the uh, the monolith yes. to to help evolution. Yep. Uh, so they don't believe in the prime directive. They're they're kind of actually pushing exactly uh, pushing things. So it's kind of like you know we're 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 going to give you we're going to nudge you to give you the opportunity. We're not necessarily gonna tell you it's just more like a every now and then we give you a little push it's kind of like sometimes you need to push just to get jump off the cliff you know yeah and so in in the book it's more like a the rest of it's it's a game to see how far you can get and if you get here then you reach the next step god there's another level (laughs) exactly okay and and that's the book but in the movie like is it the same monolith i don't know i mean it's not it's not said well, the first ape should have like wrote, you know, uh, Moon Watcher was here mm-hmm. with, with the bone, like scrape it on the monolith. <laughs> I forgot to. <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. And then like another one goes like heart, uh, Sally and Bob forever. There is a- it's scratched out. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> there is a part in the Monica. You ruined your homewrecking bitch. <laughs> there is a pretty cool part in the book where. Uh, Moon Watcher, like when they first see the monolith, he tries to eat it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he bites when, it. <laughs> when he can't eat it, he just forgets about it. Like it's not food, so it's not worth thinking about. Oh wow! And then he sees it again that night. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I understand. If it's not food, I don't give a shit either. Neither did Moon Watcher. <laughs> and you notice the first thing he imagines is himself fat next to a fire, <laughs> with his fat wife covered in like bear hair. <laughs> Ooh. All right, guys, when they find the monolith um, on the moon, what, what, what do you guys think of the handheld shots down there? Like when the, the sound starts going off and you start... Oh, yeah, yeah, it totally adds. Now, is that... I saw this thing, is like, is that sound only in their heads or is that a real sound? Is that something that they're imagining? No, no, later in the movie, they say it emits a signal. Uh, so when, that, that was the actual signal, is the high pitch, like, you know, sound. I, Yeah, I guess. I mean, they're reacting to it. 
It uh, it definitely uh, it, it had a cool feel, like going down into the the pit, and it, it felt a little more realistic. You know, the 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 motion of it. Yeah. Oh, dude, so, dude, some of those shots, like where you can see like the earth in the background, right. That's something cool we really haven't done. Don't uh, look at my new computer. I can't help looking at the pretty new computer, man. <laughs> what the fuck were we even talking about, man? I, I totally got... Um, uh, you were, we were talking you about... You were going to talk about yeah, Earth and we were talking about like uh, at the scene... They drew the Earth and we didn't know what it looked like. That's what you were about to talk about. Have we talked about that, though, already? No, you were just fixing the No, you were talking up. about it. Have we already talked about that, though? No. I don't know. I, I promise I you, you have not talked about it. That's okay. where you were headed, but... So it, it is It is pretty cool. So like when you when you see those pictures of the Earth in the film... I mean, really, when you think about it, it's that's before we had a full picture of the Earth. So the whole full, like, NASA, the blue marble shot. Right. Full Earth shot. That was in 1972. And well, the, they took and, that from this. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I mean, like, just pieces and, like, some grainy black and white pieces of, of the Earth were, were shot. Right. When they were making this movie, if, if you look at the Earth... The land masses lack a lot of color. They're not 100% right. They're, They're a little right. bit smaller than they, aren't they? Yeah, and it, it's really the color, too. It's just, it's very off. Right. It's not what we think of when we see that 72 picture. But again, like, this is before all that. But, I mean, honestly, if I'm not thinking about it, I'm, I would have not. Oh, no. It totally plays. It just blows my mind, man. I mean, the, to put this in historical perspective of, like, when this came out and... That's another thing. Like, yeah. we haven't even been to the moon. You, you have to, when, when thinking about films like this, and, and you say this, this like, epic, classic, you know, uh, one of the best films ever made, you know, but you have to think of that in its time. You have to think about when it came out, like, you know, the, the feat of pulling off this shit. When we today can't even figure out, how the fuck did they do that? In the middle and of the space race. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's clean, you know, and it, I don't know. It's just like, you know. I mean, to me, that's the most impressive thing about it. That what it's the special just, effects? It's historical place of you know when it was made and how it looks and I, I always like to think about this. What was it? What was another big movie at at that time? So when you can compare it to, uh, well, the easiest one to compare it to sci-fi wise, Planet of the Apes, same year. Okay. Also has um, monkey makeup. It does. It does. And I was actually, <laughs> but hey, you know, you look at that spaceship. You know how it looks like very sci-fi. What you think of as a sleek spaceship? Yeah. Like you know, think of like. Those like uh, Japanese movies of the time, you know, like the the Godzilla or, or Battle um, in Outer Space or right. Planet of Vampires, like all, all of those rockets were very sleek looking, or yeah, they like, looked like you, UFOs, like, which you would like either either a saucer or a standard rocket. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like the, what you just think of. According to the Oracle, some movies that were released in 1968 are Coogan's Bluff, Night of the Living Dead. Okay. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Charlie, Planet of the Apes, Oliver, Funny Girl, The Odd Couple, Hang 'em High, Barbarella. Oh, hey, there you go, sci-fi. Yeah, okay. Again, spaceship. Yeah, but, but well, so, hey, no, actually that spaceship was not. That was a, that was a different looking spaceship. I'm just thinking like, you know, if you, if you think about these films like and and so if you that kind of sets your brain to where when this came out. Technology, technology, technology. I can't even say the word. Technology. <laughs> say it, somebody. Technologically, there it is. Boom! Advanced the uh, the production was. <laughs> Once upon a time in the West. So yeah, I mean, like it's it's really high end uh, filmmaking. It was an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I I do like the story too, though. I I, I like the 
And, and maybe it's because I've read the book as well. That's what I'm saying. Can, can you, uh, when I think back on the film, I'm thinking about the themes and about how things tie together and then all that. Just give me the story in broad strokes. I, I mean, <laughs> alien race that puts a monolith on Earth yeah. that kickstarts our use of tools and yeah. it lures us into space. A computer turns on the people. They unplug the computer and then they trip out on acid and turn into a giant baby. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, so that's what I'm getting at. But I, I, I'm talking about more of that middle section there. Where okay, like, well, like, like the whole point of the mission and, let, and how does how does that mission tie in? And well, let's let's talk about that because okay. that, that, that's that that's is the part, part of the movie. Lost. Yeah, that, that, what is it? The Jupiter mission, um, and 18 months later, and that's when we get Hal, we get Dave, and we get Frank, and they're these two, they're two astronauts, and then the only humans that are aboard the ship. And there's some other scientists, but they're in cryosleep. Isn't it crazy how massive this ship is and no one's really running it? I guess because they just, they just believe so much in this computer that this computer is going to handle everything. Well, they, they have their little task that they're doing. I mean, you, right. you see them operating like very minimal, like little things. Right. Um, but I mean, you do basically see Basically, you shoot it off into space. It's just going to keep going until you turn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you do see the computer, like, do a lot of things for him. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like, oh, get my headrest up and, like, get me in a sunning position better. Or <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. Just kind of this weird little table thing. <laughs> <laughs> Show me my video now or, yeah. you know. Hal's like, hey, hey, guys, have you heard the, uh, the rumor about the alien object on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> This is a psych evaluation. I, oh, you got me. I, I like I like the the how how kind of has a uh, a relationship with him. He's like kind of like looking at the guy's drawings and he's like, oh yeah, like I like what you're doing there. Oh, is that so and so? Yeah, that's pretty good. I think he's probably the most relatable character in the movie. <laughs> I mean, really, you know? I mean, you think about it. Um, like even when he goes bad, like he get his death scene is the only death that we that we really see, and we even are kind of. Made to feel sympathy for it. Oh, you totally feel it. Like there's this like sense of like, I guess it's very very intense and very. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words for some reason, but it's it's very stressful. You know, it, like it it, it they, they build it up really well. It's disturbing, it's man. Very, he's yeah. pleading for his life. He is. He's pleading, and the guy just he's, does not and see, give I, a shit. <laughs> I felt different. Like I didn't feel sorry for Hal at all. He's a computer. I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently, but I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Dave. Stop. Stop, will you? Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? Stop, Dave. I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid, Dave. Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. I felt bad for the dude that is about to be left on this ship. But he's so calm about it while he's doing it. He's just like, you know, just turn, you know, using his tool. Like, I keep talking about tools. He's taking his screwdriver. And I just he, assume he's traumatized. <laughs> I mean, his buddy just got killed. Yeah, his computer he got, just tried to kill him. He got locked out. He had to, like, go through an airlock to, you know. He's probably got one bitch of a headache. <laughs> I love how Kubrick does that through production design where he's got the different color helmet on. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like, oh, your suit doesn't even match, man. You know, it's subtly unhinged. Yeah. No, it, it it's it's good. But no, I think you're I think you're made to feel a little sympathy for him pleading for his life. You know? See, I don't I just I don't I mean just the he's I mean, I think it's interesting that he pleads for his life, but at the same time he's a computer and because the way the human's death is done, um, when Frank gets his umbilical cord, or oh, not God, his man. umbilical cord, but his, uh, he gets his, his line, his air yeah, line. His, his air hose cut, and he flung out into space. Uh, it's horrifying. Oh, man. man, you imagine that? You're just like, all right, here we but, go. But you don't see it. Well, you no, know? you're seeing it from the other guys, Dave's Yeah, you see view. him like flipping out. Yeah. And you don't see him die, though. I mean, like uh, you don't see the, the action of his, uh, of his death. Like, I mean, how you're with. Like right. you're you're watching him die. You don't you don't even get the comm signal of him like screaming, floating off into space, do you? I don't think you get that. No, yeah. no, that, that's actually like the beauty of the scene because you just hear his breathing. Yeah, yeah. You know, just hearing that, whoosh, almost like that Darth Vader. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where George Lucas got that from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he probably among, sampled it among other things. But uh, you, you hear that breathing, and then you see the pod, and it turns around, and it's coming for him, and you see the the quick cuts where it goes into the eye. And then uh, it's like on one of the quick cuts, you actually hear the breathing stop. And then you cut. There's a shot where Dave Bowman, and you see a monitor, and he just goes flying by the monitor. And th- that, that's it. And, it's, and then there's that shot with him, you know, reaching for his hose and then slowly stopping. That's absolutely terrifying. Oh, man, yeah. He's still floating out there today. <laughs> <laughs> out around Jupiter. Yeah, yeah. I'll there, find him. <laughs> there's a great line in the book where it's something like uh, Frank Poole is like the first person to Jupiter or something like that, or the first man to Jupiter. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because eventually he'd be pulled into the, the orbit. Right, yeah. Well, actually, no. Um, in the book, they're actually going to Saturn. Really? Yeah, but they couldn't do the rings. They Well, convincingly on film, so they... Made it Jupiter. Yeah, they made it Jupiter. Cheapskates. Yeah, man, come on. We're talking about like how this fits in story-wise. What do you guys think about this? I mean, does I, I have heard some people can complain where like they either say this is their favorite part of the movie or it breaks up the monolith story for them where it's about a, a you know killer AI. Right. What do you guys think? Uh, it's probably my favorite part of the movie. Does it interrupt the flow or? I don't really think this movie has that much of a flow. I guess does it interrupt the themes? Does it fit for you thematically? And the, the theme of, like, you know, uh, evolution. Uh, is, are, are they trying to say that, uh, you know, maybe we, we can take it too far, you know, where we try to put ourselves into something else, like where, where uh, man has, tries to be God and create something, try to, like, create its own version, you know, of life 
yeah. that ends up like basically turning on, you know, because eventually that <laughs> the way it goes, apparently evolution uh, it turns you into a killer. <laughs> you know, to, for, to, so you can survive, basically. Exactly. I mean, because Hal just wants to survive. I mean, yes. they do want to switch him off because he made a mistake. That, that, that's debatable because computers don't make mistakes. They, uh, you know, uh, the, the mistake is made by the programming, the programmer, because the computer just runs programs. Or is this computer? I don't know. The, the other twin computer they have back on Earth right. sa- said this computer made a mistake. I mean, we don't know. I mean, did, they didn't put. They didn't have a chance to put the unit in and have it fail in right. the movie. <laughs> poor, poor Frank got his uh, got his ass kicked by the <laughs> by the pod. Well, you know. But how? I mean, the the point is that how knew that they knew he had made a mistake. Exactly. Whether it was his code was wrong or he's a free thinking machine that made a mistake. One way or another, he knows that they know he made a mistake. So to cover up his mistake and keep from getting shut down, he's going to kill him. Well, it also pro- proves that it's the same thing with uh, Alien. Uh, he's not very smart because all he has to do is, like, you know, evacuate all the air out of the station. Do it in the novel. They do that in the novel? It is done in the novel. No shit. It is done in the novel. It's kind of skipped over... Um, and it, it's it's a little confusing, right? Because I mean, like, is, if he's even going to try to keep all the people in cryo sleep, that's in fine. The they're they're going to survive. But yeah, blow out all the air. Whoops, blow out all the air and uh, kill all the the bad humans in there, and then just restart. Well, he kills the people in cryo sleep. Did he kill those people? Yeah, he totally kills them. It's got that. Oh man, that's I love that too. Like they, there's moments in the movie where they just use one sound effect, but that's one where they start layering. The sound effects on where you start getting the different alarms it, and you hear the breathing and it's like all going. It off almost at the comes same time. on. It almost comes across like he gets the idea that I'm not going to let them shut me off. I'll kill all of them. I'll finish the mission. Right. It does kind of seem like he just wants to get him out of the ship, though. I'll I, be I, the hero. Exactly. Like <laughs> I don't want to decompress the ship because the maybe important artifacts that may be important to the mission may fly out. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I do get that, but I do like that. Once Dave Bowman gets inside uh, the Discovery, he is wearing his spacesuit. Right. You know, so he's he's on the up and up, like, oh, okay, I know this computer can decompress the shit. Yeah. yeah, again. And, man, I really have to say, that is one of the coolest moments when he gets back in the Discovery and he blows himself back into the hatch. Dude, that looks amazing. It does look dude. amazing. For 68, that looks so cool. I love that scene. Yeah, the actor said they did that in two takes. I know, right? Yeah. Kubrick did... Well, he, he, because the actor was scared because uh, he wasn't wearing a helmet, and oh. he had to go through that little bitty tiny door, like fly through it, because the camera it, the camera was down, and he like fell toward it, you know, coming at it like that. So he was scared he's going to bust his head open. Oh, dude, you see how many times he hit his head in the actual movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of his shot when he's like going back toward the door? It's like yeah. his head and legs are keeping him from flying back out. It's like, oh, uh, acting's hard, y'all. Uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> when you're doing courtroom dramas, maybe not so maybe not so much. <laughs> Hit your mark and say your you line. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> well, you're doing a Stanley Kubrick movie. Yeah, acting stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get what he wants. And he's not going to talk to you, apparently. I, it is interesting that these, um, these astronauts in Discovery are, they are a little cold. You know what I mean? They are a little, you know what I mean? Disconnected, you mean? That's a great word for it. Yeah. But wouldn't kinda... you have to be to spend... 
how many years of your life on a spaceship? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, I mean, yeah, in movies, we're used to more lively animated characters. Just think about the scene when Frank is watching his videos of his family members versus something like Interstellar. Now, I mean, that probably goes a little too far, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's just like, there is just like, no, there, it's completely emotional disconnect. I think that's done on purpose. Well, I do too. That's what I'm saying is I think those are the type of people you would need mm-hmm. somebody that can be almost naturally that way, but plus <laughs> trained to be that way. I think, I'm thinking it may be done for not completely disconnect because he is catching up with his family. You know, he's taking the time to, you know, he's not just over there playing on his iPad and eating his baby food. But I'm saying he's not he's not emotionally invested or reacting to that at all. Oh, no, not at all. Just no, like, like, it's, it's just very there. nonchalant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like, okay, let me see that, Hal. Okay, thank you, Hal. Hey, can you do this for me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he's also, too, it's showing that there's not a true, like, friendship between them and Hal. They view Hal as a tool. And if Hal is breaking, we need to turn Tool off. If there was a friendship there, if it was a buddy system, then you wouldn't want to turn Hal off. You would have, oh, man, you messed up. We need to figure out what's wrong with you, buddy. Come on, R2, let's fix you up. But instead of, you know, going to try to fix Hal, they immediately, all right, we got to shut it off. It's an it. I don't know. I don't think they they treat it like an it, though. I, 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 I totally feel like they treat him. They don't treat him like a friend. Like, I mean, if you use that analogy, the way Luke treats R2, that's a buddy. He treats R2 like a buddy. But they treat... I think they treat each other the same way they treat Hal. I mean, you know what I mean? Does yeah, it they, feel they really way? don't have conversations or, you know, like, it's kind of... Until so things get bad? Yeah, it's very, it's very clinical up until that point. They're kind of doing their own thing, even when they're sitting down to meals. Yeah. They're, they're and, not yeah. having, you know... And they're dialogue. not even like watching one screen; they're watching separate. Oh yeah, screens. they're doing they're doing their own thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, could you imagine how tired you would be of somebody if you like, just lived? You shut <laughs> the fuck up! I want my own TV. <laughs> I want my own tray, my own spoon, my own green stuff. I've I don't want to see all you your fucking stories. Ear blue stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you at rounds, and then I'll see. I mean, come on, man. We'll have movie night next week or something. But fuck. <laughs> If Hal messes up, we'll get together in one of the little pod things and we'll talk. Oh, <laughs> and if you die, I'll try to come out there and get you. But if there was alcohol and pot on the station, they'd be partying. I'm just saying. Uh, no, I mean, I think, I no, think, I I think you're right. I think that is a choice. But I think all of that kind of goes into that choice. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting and I think you can read a lot of different things into that. And, and, yeah, it's one of those decisions. It's like, man, you know, I would. I mean, it's very anti. Like to know what it was. Anti Hollywood. Normally, you would have exactly one of them would be the, you know, the space jock that's kind of got the you know quirks and funny stuff, and then one of them would be the scientist geeky guy. Where these are just two two dudes. How was it? In the, how was it in the story? The actual book. I don't remember this part. Was there? Much. Was there actual? Were they? Were they like that? Or did they actually uh, have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they really barely spoke to each other because they were actually on, in in the book. They were on different shifts. Oh, so they they weren't actually working together. It was no, like, no, no. Like one person was sleeping, and the other person was up, and they had like um, a couple of like moments that overlapped where they talked to each other during the day, and that's how 
like all the miscommunications and things. It's like, hey man, really, and, and uh, next time, don't, please don't leave the dishes in the sink. Can you at least put them in the dishwasher? It was like, it was real clinical like that. I was like, dude, we're, I've we're, wiped we're, your green stuff yeah, for exactly. three days in a row. <laughs> yeah, it was, if they pass along information, we'd just be like, you know, like this is broken or, you know, you got to do this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, another thing that's different after they disconnect Hal in, in, the, in the novel, he's still kind of in contact with Earth and he's still actually trying to complete the mission. Right. And that's something that's not really explained in the movie. In the movie, once Hal's disconnected, you get that message from Dr. Floyd again, explaining everything that's going on, why they're out there. They're going to go check this monolith out. And then you see the monolith in the movie, and then the pod comes out. I mean, but like, he goes out to check it out, but like, what else is he going to do? He's going to go up and touch it. <laughs> and that's another thing that's really made clear in the novel is that there is no going back like the whole reason that they have hibernation chambers is that they're going to go into like suspended animation for a long time while they build another discovery Two back on earth and comes and gets them oh wow so i mean that that it's much more of a, like a one-way kind of trip once how goes crazy it's not really i don't know if it's, it's conveyed 100 percent in the movie i don't know i guess he's just like what else am i going to do everybody else is dead how did you guys read that Toward the end, there, I don't really know what the hell's happening. Like, <laughs> like, like uh, everything kind of goes crazy and trippy, and then he like, uh, like, ends up in this white room where he sees his his older self eating, and then like sees his even older self fucking dying in bed, reaching well, up. You know. Well, you notice how he takes himself's place as his self changes points of view. Yeah. Super cool. I love that set, dude. That's amazing. Apparently, it's 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 modeled after the Dorchester Hotel. Of course, it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, so, what else would it be modeled after? Well, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Arthur C. Clarke's got excuse like, me, Benson. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke's got some great uh, like quote where he's like, "I want it to look like some uh, crazy neon uh, gay S M M club." <laughs> Almost did a spit tag, man. <laughs> from this, <laughs> which, which is great, you know, from this old British dude. Kubrick's no, like, no, the hotel. <laughs> yeah, hotel with, with the white dance floor. It's a, it's a great looking set. I saw an interview with the, uh, the actor who plays Dave. And, like, in the interview, they had him, like, in his... Cara Dulé, is that his name? I'm not sure. But they had him, like, uh, he, he was talking about doing the, those last scenes. But they actually had him at that age. He's, like, he gets in bed in his hotel room, and he's, like, reaching up. Oh, I saw that. And he's, he, he's, like, standing in the mirror, like, staring at himself. I was, like, I just imagine, like, doing this, this interview with this actor, like, 30 years later. And be, like, all right, so we'd like you to replicate your scene <laughs> that you did in that movie. And so just how ho- close it, does he look like the old man in the movie? Not really. No, Nothing no. at all. Yeah, no. so they screwed that, that like, makeup they up. Did. That was in like two like two thousand seven, I think. I like, think it was, yeah. Somewhere, but uh, there. it was uh, it was really weird, you know, how they were like just juxtaposing those shots of him then in a hotel room bed with the shots in in the in the you know in yeah, the white space room. The big making of has like weird uh, shots of like downtown L A with the monolith. It's just, yeah, just it's just <laughs> it's there. Like, yeah. Uh, what, why is that there? Did you? <laughs> this wasn't even shot in L.A., man. Why is? <laughs> Did you know that that the beginning of the movie, uh, they actually went out and they shot they, they they shot all these interviews with all these scientists uh, around the country, 
uh, asking these questions of whether or not that they uh, thought uh, that there were uh, other worlds and aliens. And they had all this stuff cut together, and because of the length of the movie, when they were getting done, they went ahead and scrapped the idea. But it was supposed to open with all these interviews with with modern-day scientists talking about how uh, it would be naive to, to not believe that there are other worlds and that there are civilizations that are even more powerful and more way beyond us. Kind of like they were supposed to set the tone of the film beforehand, and they kind of scrapped that idea. But those, you know, those interviews exist. I would love to see them. There, there is like a little uh, retro like uh, doc where they're, they're talking about the actual space program at the time. And then they go to uh, the making of 2001 and Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, I, I can't remember when it was close to when the movie was coming out. It may have been um, in 67, but it's, it's like a, it's an old school newsreel. And Arthur C. Clarke is, is like in some like NASA. I saw some footage of him like walking through like he's, he's getting a tour yes. and they're, they're like showing him things. Yeah, it's like from some, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. it's like old reel. Like it's kind of like that. Like really awesome. Uh, having that much um, having that much pull and influence to be able to have that much access to things at that time to make the film as uh, accurate as possible is uh that's, that's what we do today but it just at, at the time you know yeah it's phenomenal all right so look he's in this hotel room we get he turns into a star child guys what do you think of the, what what is your interpretation of this scene i always enjoy talking about that with the, with people what, what did you think happened so like we see crazy light show we see him in hotel room we see star baby is that just a representation? Like, did that? Is he experiencing all of this, or is this just like his his brain dealing with it? You know, through the rest of his life, or like, you know, what what exactly happened to him from from? <laughs> <laughs> like, how do we get from here to here? You know, or did 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 he did he reach you know uh, like the next level consciousness? To I where can, he can just sit in a, in a white room and have steak and, and, and drink wine and, <laughs> you know, and fine china. Have, have the good life, you yeah, know? Yeah, you know, like I'd love eating at a table Before next to my you're bed. Reborn. I mean, like it's right there. I mean, everything in this one little... I saw an interesting theory on And if you mind. drop your wine glass, you turn into an old man. Uh, it's never... Dude, I'm holding on to this motherfucker <laughs> like crazy. I saw an interesting theory online. Um, that theory was that once they arrive at the monoliths at Jupiter... The alien race takes him in. They are a conscious race, but him being a physical being, they allow him to see himself growing older. But it's a rep. They can't. They can't replicate like interactions. So they're replicating events, like he's having dinner. He's getting older. He's going to bed. He's getting older. That's a more well articular, articulated version of what I, you know, thought before I read the novel. So he's so it's just a projection of what's to come, or is it? Does it actually it's, happen? No, he's. They're just letting him, like, basically imagine it. So he goes on a fucking acid trip and sees and then where he's could eventually. He, I guess, becomes the star baby once his physical body dies his essence is then that that's my question so how, how do you how do you evolve into how do you evolve into an embryo floating in space the size know, of the that, world that, i don't like what what is that is is that is that the next level human yeah being born yeah that's whatever this this monolith whatever this you know whatever this monolith is supposed to be whether it's an alien or or it's supposed to be god 
you know, whatever it is, yes, this is like the next form or next step in, in of man. So in in the space womb, basically, you know, like be, being created by space. Yeah, there's some, you know, there's some semen, vaginal, world-creating imagery, uh, you know, going on. In yeah. That, uh, there, there's some weird... <laughs> It's some weird imagery going on in in, in that space, man. It's kind of like it's, it's, it's like Jeremy said earlier. It's, it's like it's trip. like it's like they're like, uh, Mister Kubrick, what would you like right now? He's like, fucking play around and bring me some shit. <laughs> Just turn some knobs. <laughs> turn some knobs. We're gonna fill it up and make it happen. I and man, I'm I'm with it for the most part. Um, it it is weird when they go to the landscapes that are that to me that gets really repetitive. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know exactly what that was supposed to be. So in the, in the in the novel, it's they show like old civilizations, and it is very clear that when you see the monolith, the monolith opens. And in the movie, I don't think that is one hundred percent clear because the shot in the movie is you see the monolith. It's like floating away. Yeah, and then the camera tilts up. Right. And then the Stargate, whatever that I guess it's like Stargate, whatever you want to call it, it opens. The acid hits. Yeah. Well, in the novel, it's it's clear the monolith actually opens up and it it becomes a Stargate, and he goes into it. So it takes you through all of that trippy shit, basically. In, well, it, the, it didn't take him through a trippy. It takes him like through like other worlds and other civilizations, and he does end up in this room. He, I don't, he, I don't remember him aging in the room. I remember it, it's it's more like he's in the room and he knows he's in an in um in an environment. That is 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 constructed from his mind. Like he picks up like a, a Bible and he flips through the pages, and there's no all the pages are blank. So when he sees these other civilizations, does he ex- is he having experiences with them, or is he more like an overseer, like like a god, like like looking down on exactly? Or so he's not actually doesn't go down and have like experiences with these people. No, 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 no. Yeah, they're just passerby's. Like so, he, he sees things off in a distance. Is it like in a flash like that? Like like in the movie, how things are going through? Is it is it described like that, or is he actually? Or, or is this more time passed? Because this feels like it goes like, like he goes from you know being well, a thirty something man maybe, into maybe you're you're supposed to read the book while that's flashing on the screen. Oh, yeah, I think you'd have time. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, it's 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 I don't know. It's it's weird. It's definitely weird. Yeah, in the in the book, it's more like Dave Bowman knows he's in this this waiting area that these a, a, these aliens or whatever they are are analyzing him, and he's he's waiting to be reborn. Or repurposed. So he actually makes contact with the aliens that sent out the original monolith. And no, no, no. It's he. He never make. He's in this waiting area, and then he's 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 reborn, and he's he sees things differently, and he experiences things differently. And you don't get a lot with once he becomes the Star Child in the book. And that goes into the second one, where he does that carry on. Oh, you're him? talking about the sequel, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it supposed to be him? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Dave Bowman comes back as the Star Child, but it's it's different. It, it doesn't end with a, a giant fetus outside <laughs> of Earth. Um, and that's not really brought up. It's that's kind of dropped. It's like we forget about that part. Well, see, I always thought that was like that's more symbolic. That's more of a cover up. That's, and America's that's what I'm saying. To keep it from that, Russia. That, that's and, what I'm saying. Like you know where, where he is then, and then he has this like fucking like trip and sees all the shit. Is that all in his mind? Like or, or like in the the room and all the trippy fucking colors and 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 landscapes and stuff and then the the ultimate, uh, you know, Star Child, is that all in his head or did that happen? So like I, I guess I guess in, in if you have a second film, 
then and all that didn't happen. That was just a fucking a space acid trip he had. Yeah. To, uh, uh, of the like way, enlightenment. The way I always understood it. In the sequels, he is the star child. He is a new being. New entity. I guess that's huge called. floating around in space. Well, he no, he, no, he harnesses his power because that's, that was his baby state. No, he, he grows and he's kind of like a... Wait, he, he's reborn from that? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, okay. You know, and, and in the you know in the book he destroys all the nuclear weapons, but when they write the sequel, like they kind of erase that because of what happened in the movie. And Arthur C. Clarke kind of, kind of wanted to respect what Stanley Kubrick did, and the movie was more popular, so he went along with the idea that there was this baby, and that was the the first iteration, and it grew from there and turned into this. He turned into like this light being, and he can kind of. He can really take any shape he wants to. He really has no form. You can't describe like actually what he is. And in the movie, it's like describe. It's like a particle of light, kind of like, like like you know like those shooting stars in those eighties movies. And then he turns into the you know the actor. Well, all right, is well, it the you, same Dave actor? Bowman. Yes. You, you saying no form goes along with what I always kind of thought the ending of the movie was. Was once he gets to the monolith. He's taken in by these beings, and his physical body at that point is gone. His mental presence, his spirit, whatever. His soul or whatever. They let him see, like, his physical body aging the way it would, but at a certain point, it is reborn as a spiritual or a... Enlightened being. An essence with no form... So to me, the sim the symbology in the film of the giant fetus looking down on Earth is this new being that's more formless. So the giant fetus is more symbolic, but I could totally see that if in the book it's attacking stuff and King Konging nuclear weapons. Then <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, again, like in the book, like is that is that fetus? I mean. The fetus that does that. In is the book? that is that a metaphorical fetus? Like, I mean, I don't know, bro. You know, what I mean, it's it's just like in the movie. Like when you see the giant space baby star child going toward Earth, it's like, is it is that metaphorical? Is he just now like actually like light or something we can't see because he's like in a new dimension? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, like, but how do you show that on film? Fuck, I don't know. Like, I, 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 just, I think that's a great way to show it on film and to, you know, to represent it, you know, because you see him dying. And then the next thing you see is like the bed and that bubble with the baby in it. What else would you do? Like, how well, would he, you he, represent that to an audience? He's dying, reaching out to the monolith. Yeah. And then the, and then the monolith, you know, leads you to the earth and then to the star child. I love that we get the monolith POV too. Like he reaches yeah. out right for the mon, and then we get the monolith POV and we see the star child. Right, like fuck, it's just brilliant, dude. I mean, like, dude, can, can we talk about? We didn't even say anything about the the symmetrical shots here. Like, just how? Oh my god, composition and and like just the the photography and and set design and uh, all these special effects are top notch. That they they rival things today. Well, uh, in the interviews that I was watching, it said that the um, uh, it's possible that there are aliens out there that are way beyond where we are. So they're, uh, they will not look like us. They may be a metaphysical being. They may be just a, uh, a, a just like a pure consciousness, like a, 
higher, higher level thing, you know, of life, a, a form of life. That's possibly what that could be. I, I mean, I think uh, Arthur C. Clarke had a really great quote that touched me great, man. He, it was it was something along the lines because I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have his great words. Once our science um, stops explaining things, then we enter the realm of spirituality. So, about where, where science can explain it? Yeah, yeah. Where, where science can stop explaining things, and we enter the realm of spirituality. I, I guess that's true. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if you think about it, it's like it, it goes out of any kind of what I can associate with reality. And, and the laws of physics that I know of, that I can right. see and touch, yeah, that's like that's fucking magic to me. Yeah, and that's the end of this movie. You just can't fucking explain it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it, it's like you know what what happened. You it's know? an experience. Yeah, and that score is beautiful at the end, bro. Oh, dude, no, yeah, it's totally pushing it, man. It's it's huge and it's big, and you're just like, <gasps> I, I love it. You know, I I, I do. I, I love how much this influenced uh, George Lucas and how George Lucas like took little little nods from this and change things like um you guys all i, I take it you guys seen um thx 1138 yes this is done a little, little bit later after that obviously george lucas is a, a huge fan of 2001 yeah you can see it in that film there's a masturbation machine in that yeah but like <laughs> even even that uh the spark uh zarathustra you're hearing that music right your main title for 2001 it's a slow build but yeah. it's still really big, big and bombastic. Oh, it's, it's like an anthem. It's like it's just massive. It's Star Wars starts off with that boom hit right away. Yeah. He hits you with it right up front. But I think he's able to go that big because of 2001. He, uh, John Williams, I, th- I feel like, is also able to play really n- light notes and, and to go into really nice orchestral moments. Right. Because you have that, uh, that blue Donye um, piece, that nice waltz when you're seeing the huge space station senior that, that just kind of sets the tone of, of the film right there. It really does. And like, it like, it's just like of the beauty, you know, it's kind of like, you know, this light kind of yeah. feeling after having such a heavy, long, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the opening of the films is dark, you know, just in black with all the music. And then is it played on TV like that? The first time I saw it on TNT, yes, it was. Really? I, yeah, it was. Oh, because that's right. You were watching box. that special edition where they actually yeah, had the widescreen. Uh, um, Afterwards, no, I've never seen that. So I, don't, I, don't, I had never seen that before. But anyways, yeah, so that totally like sets this big tone. But then whenever it, it, when we finally get into the into space, you know, it really does set the that waltzy kind of feel. It does, and dude, and it, and it feels like the spaceships are dancing a little bit. You know, while they're all spinning and moving. Oh, dude, I, yes, I love I love a yeah. lot of the spinning stuff. I even like how they repeat a lot of that with a Hal's eye later. Like you'll you'll see shots. Um, uh, you know, because uh, Hal's got that really circular, red, om- ominous eye. Yeah. And you'll see the reflections, and they do a lot of reflections that are rotating. That's cool. And I, 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 I like how they keep that, that theme going on. I think we're definitely here at wrap ups. Um, <laughs> so, Benson, final thoughts, 2001. Oh, no, I got to go first. I think it is an epic achievement for its time. It is not my favorite Kubrick movie. All right, we got to ask, what is, man? I, mean, I, I personally, I think um, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, The Shining, that's a, that Paths is, of Glory. <laughs> this, is, this is a long list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's up, brother. He's up. He's like, Bur- he, he's going to dig into some Barry Lyndon. <laughs> <laughs> <Lita>. oh, <shit. laughs> um, 
All of them but fear and desire. No, I wouldn't go that far. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I just don't think it's his, it's my favorite movie by him. Um, while the special effects are a like, huge achievement, and it's definitely, you know, something you, you want to watch once you, you know, you're a little older and you can take it in and enjoy that, that pace, I guess. And, man, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, I just don't think it, it's easy for repeat viewing if you're coming for, like, story. It's slow, and sure, back in 68, like, watching these ships go by for, you know, 30 seconds may have been awesome, but now it's a little slow. I can see, like, why at the time it was, you know, this great breakthrough, but I think the genre has come a long way since then. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, Jared. Well... He said it all. <laughs> it's it's a masterful cinematic um, accomplishment. He said, yes. he said that. Yeah, yes. it's just really what it is. It, it, it's like it's it's taking. No one had ever seen anything like it before. It, it, it's it's kind of like you don't know you can go there until someone you know like wow that can wow that's what that is that's what we can do that's where we can take things. You wouldn't have Star Wars like you said. You wouldn't have Star Wars without this. You wouldn't have a lot of things without this. This this is like it's like the Close Encounters of the Third it's, Kind, it, it's, Alien. It, it's the apex of of like m- the modern science fiction getting us to where you know where we are. But also, yet again, we we didn't you didn't have uh, photos. Uh, you didn't have this the the uh, this uh, the space program. You you didn't have all the access to things that they did. So they you know it, it's a little easier now to to imagine things. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm tripping over myself too. Anyways, it, it, it's it's a. It's, well, it's because like you don't want to, you don't want to critique the movie, right? But at the same time, like you're 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 kind of having to. No, no, no. I, mean, I, 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 I no. We should totally critique the movie. Um, I mean, while it's like you know a cinematic masterpiece in technique and what it was able to accomplish with you know the special effects and all of that. To me, it almost feels like we're we're supposed to be really wild by all that, and then the themes. But there's not really a story to carry you through it. It makes you think instead of being told what to think. Oh, okay, all right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of movies are like, we're going to tell you this, and this is what happens, and this is this. But in this one, there's like we're shown a lot of stuff. We're given information, but we're not really being told what to what to feel about it or what to think. It's just like... It, and it, even it, more so than Kubrick usually does. Oh, totally, yeah. This this one's very abstract in times. So it, it's kind of like, you know, you got to... It's kind of like I told you, I said my first my first viewing, like like it was over here, we were like really watched it. I don't. I, 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 I disagree a little bit. I think Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut is a lot more abstract. I, I just think, for the record, he got two rock eyebrows at that very well, moment. I, 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 I think Eyes Wide Shut can be read a lot more different ways... And can be interpreted a lot more different ways, just because of the story and and its meaning. I mean, just by the I, title, I, eyes wide shut. Like, what does that mean? I, I How agree. can your eyes be I wide agree. shut? I mean, I there's mean, a this, lot. I, there's a lot more to decipher. Then we there. should we should do a podcast on eyes wide we shut. We really should. Because, okay, but, but um, what I'm saying is is there's. I think there's more to discuss and there's more to interpret Nice Wide Shut than there just, is well, in 2001. Well, I think just because very, there's more layers doesn't mean it's more abstract. I think there's a lot of no, I think there's a lot of abstract things like and things that we can interpret 
very differently from that movie because I guarantee you I've had conversations where people think that that film is about one thing and I'm like, no, I, I think you missed and I'll go ahead and, and give you guys a spoiler of my opinion right now is you missed the last line of the movie. The last line of the movie, I think, is is what the film is about. What's the last line? Fuck, we should fuck. Said by Nicole Kidman. I think that's that's an important line. I think it's said for a reason. Yeah, that's the the main theme. I don't want to get into an eyes wide shut thing. There's websites that are are completely into the meaning of eyes wide shut, and they all have a very different opinions. A lot more so than 2001. I like to I like to discuss the end of 2001. Everybody is on board with what. 2001 means we can talk about like this entity this monolith being a god whether it's uh it's ai or it's a spiritual thing we can we understand that you know like uh, yeah it's doing these certain things in the movie and everybody can agree upon that eyes wide shut is not the same way right this movie has very 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 clear themes exactly and like like, where it it's the filmmaking process is communicating things to you. I, I just, I just, my, my thing is about it being abstract is like where it ends up. It's left open because they don't really. It's just kind of like, okay, here, here's all this stuff. We're going to set up all these themes about evolution. No more and, and, so and, than any other Stanley Kubrick film ever. Uh, Clockwork Orange is left open. Uh, Full Metal Jacket is left open, um, and so is Eyes Wide Shut. They're all they're all open ended stories. That's right. Stanley Kubrick. Um, the only one that's conclusive is when he goes into uh, a comedic effect. You look at Doctor Strangelove. What does he do there? Well, he ends the world. Well, The Shining comes to an end. I think I understand what he's meaning, though, by, by saying that the ending of 2001 is more abstract. Like, you can watch Eyes Wide Shut and get to the end of the movie, and you at least get the basic idea of what you just saw. Really? Because there's, like, people that watch it, and they're like, <laughs> was, was that cult real? Or was oh, yeah, it yeah, because it's kind of like it didn't and even like, happen. If, or... if, if it is real, like... Did I just watch a whole dream? Well, then they're just is she in on it and like all this? Well, they're just not paying attention. Is she not? And I was, but in two thousand one, no, that's not fair because I was in (laughs) film school. I was actually in film school. Kern Saxton and I both watched together, eyes wide shut. Uh, along with Chris Breaker and uh, a bunch of film professors that I really respect. Man, here's the thing: we sat down, watched that film, all of us. When we got up. Man, let me tell you what conversation was crazy. All of us had different interpretations of all kinds of different things. That doesn't. But they're but they're real things. Like you know, Nicole Kidman existed, and no, no, they're not all real things. We don't know what we happened if we saw what we saw as real or if it was a dream. Was it a character's obsession or was it real? Well, you know, the cult was real because the doctor later backs it up. The newspaper backs it up. I could, I could also. But, but no, no, I see what you're saying, though. Because, I could, because I could of the also, way it wraps There's up. also I, I a know. moment where I can point I, out that that's I know, not true. I know. But <laughs> in 2001, you get into stuff that, like, it's hard to even comprehend what you might be seeing. I will say a lot of that problem is because people, and it's it's not it, it's not an audience fault all the way, but people tune out a little bit. I, I would say is the problem. I, I agree. I agree with that. And. And I don't think it's until you watch it a first time, you let it marinate for a little bit, watch it again for your second viewing, things make a little bit more sense. Well, you could say the same thing about Eyes Wide Shut. 
Yes. That doesn't that doesn't change the fact that seeing a giant baby in a fetus with giant eyes all is I'm a little saying, abstract. All I'm saying is is that's Stanley Kubrick. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying one's more abstract than the other. Right. I'm saying they're they're oh, I thought Stanley you, I Kubrick. thought you were saying the eyes wide shut is way more abstract than No, I'm saying that's Stanley Kubrick. Okay. I mean I can agree with that. No, that's why I was using all these other films. As examples, with the exception of of the shiny, right. I think Spartacus. that's. <laughs> but the, but definitely from the from the point from where uh, shit starts to get trippy to the end is completely open to interpretation. Another thing that may make this movie a little harder to get into is normally you have like a main character, right? Like you've got yeah. these people you're following, but you're, you're sort of your main character in this movie is humanity. humanity. Yeah, exactly, humanity. So it's like. All right, we see this. It's like as far back as you can fucking go. It's like here we go. It, it, this is know. the sperm of humanity. It, right? it, it's yeah. short of like crawling out of the and primordial the ooze and like you know, like breathing air for the first time. You know, like uh, it, it's it's like let's take us all the way to the beginning and like all the way to where we could possibly go. What's your closing thought? Uh, my closing thought is, guys, this is my favorite science fiction film of all time. I think this may be the greatest film of all time. I don't know, man. That's a really hard question. To me, 2001 is the sci-fi art film equivalent to, to David Lean. And maybe it's because I've seen this movie like 50 to 70 times. Holy shit. And yes, I mean, look, my kids have all seen this. Like, <laughs> I, I know my oldest has seen this 15 times. I mean, we, we can quote how long. We can start singing Daisy right now. Do you, do you know where that comes from? Uh, da- yeah, Daisy was the first song that was ever sung by a computer. It was, yeah. That's badass. If, if you watch Star Wars, the original Star Wars, not the special edition. I've seen it. Man, two thousand. Check that out. Two thousand one whips its ass, dude. I mean, it just looks so much better, dude. Visually, I'm, I'm just about talk- visually. Okay, I was about I'm to talking say. about special effects wise. No, a movie wise, two thousand one is a far superior sci fi film. Like Star Wars gives me a lot of fun. I love it. It makes me feel great. And Star there Wars is, is easier to watch. There's there's a, there's a lot of love. It, does, there. it doesn't question. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, confront you. It doesn't. It doesn't leave you with questions. It doesn't. It doesn't make you think. This movie makes you think. It, it challenges you. That's what. That's what. That's what I was looking for. Star Wars doesn't challenge you. This movie challenges you. Yeah, I mean, two thousand one showed me what what uh, what sci fi really could be in in a way that I, no, I didn't like. You know, as a kid, like yeah, I, I I would much rather watch Forbidden Planet than than watch this film. Well, think about it. At the time, space was a mystery. You know, so there's more questions. So yeah. that that's kind of what you know, like you know, by the time that we get into Star Wars and and nowadays times, you know, it's it's like it's, it's old hat, you know, that's kind of you know that that's been there, been there, done that. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it, it, you're right. It, it, it's yeah. it's, an, it's an art film. It, it, it's it's designed to make you think and to 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 lean on you know themes. I think this and Metropolis are hands down. These are the two most important films in the sci-fi genre. I don't think that can be argued. You can't take that away from these movies, whether you like them or not. Say Metropolis? Metropolis and 2001. Brazil? What about Brazil? No, Brazil. What? No. Okay. What? No. What? No. Right. I, I mean, I mean, I mean it, Brazil's up there. No, don't get me wrong. I'd put Brazil in my top 20, top 25 for sure. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, it's not Metropolis and 2001. I mean, you have to think about what those movies did. Like, 
everything that was on Earth that would ever take place in the future right. is stealing from Metropolis. I can see that. Everything that is in outer space is st- is stealing from 2001. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You know? I, I, I see where you're coming from there. They're, they're pioneer films. Exactly. Okay. Are we done here? I think so. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, guys. So with that, you guys have been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew and crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E at gmail.com. Um, you guys can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter at Movie Crew Pod. If you guys could give us a five-star rating on Facebook and Stitcher, we would surely appreciate that. Helps people find out about the show. Benson, where can people follow you, sir? At J. Edward Benson. There you go. <laughs> on Twitter. Yes. And you can follow me, Jared Cowan, at Twitter, on, at Jared B. Cowan, on Instagram, at Check the Gate, or any of my other fine podcasts at ShutUpAndListenPodcast.com. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for us. Yes. 100th episode. Woo. Woo. It's amazing. So like always, we're going to play a little bit of the soundtrack. Uh Guys, you can get the original motion picture soundtrack completely de- re- uh, digitally remastered in all of its awesome glory with all the tracks and everything. It's on uh, Amazon. We'll put uh, links in our show notes. But from that soundtrack, we're going to be playing track two main titles. Also, Spock, Zarathustra. Spock? And, uh, well, yeah, the German, bro. We're going we're gonna to go all German here, okay? Nice. The Spoke Zarathustra, okay, <laughs> by Richard Strauss. And we're going to follow that up with a Blue Danube. Enjoy. <laughs>